Everybody having a good week? Wonderful, wonderful to be together as God's people singing our praises. I tell you what, I say it every week and I'll say it again. What a joy it is, really is in these days to have a family, a spiritual family, the church of God. What a joy it is to meet together and to make it our habit of life where we come together to sing His praises. We take time to stop in the week and say, right, we go into the house of God to be with the people of God. Just like David said of old, I was glad when they said to me, come, let us go to the house of God. And we feel that every week, don't we? When Sunday comes around, hallelujah, we feel that call, we feel that tug to be with God's people and to sing our praises of appreciation and gladness of heart to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what He's done in our lives. Well, today we're continuing in our series of messages that we've called Walking Through the Gospel of John that we started just a few weeks ago. And today as we come to John chapter 3, we're going to read about a man named Nicodemus who visited Jesus by night. And as we'll see from this chapter, it would be on this night with Jesus that Nicodemus would hear about a wonderful new possibility of a new beginning for his life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at John chapter 3, a new beginning. I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives have hoped and dreamed about a new beginning. Maybe as we've looked back on our lives, maybe as we've looked back on times, dates, and places in life, we've thought, if only I'd done things differently. Have you ever said that? If only I'd done things differently. If only I hadn't have said what I said or thought what I thought. If only I'd have done things differently, I wouldn't have done what I did, and maybe things would be different today. I've certainly said that lots of times throughout my life. I'm sure as you have too. If only I could go back and change those times, those dates, and those places when things went wrong. If only I had the wisdom of hindsight to instruct and correct my foresight, I wouldn't have faced the trouble and the mess that I got myself into. Most people reason like this. Most people reason regretfully over their past because as human beings, when things go wrong, we long for new beginnings. We long for a new start so that things that went wrong can be made right again. Albert Tennyson, the poet, understood this longing and need in the human heart for a new beginning when he wrote, Oh, for a man to rise within me that the man that I am might cease to be. 
That's the cry of a man's heart who's longing for a new beginning, longing for a fresh start. And isn't that the cry of every human being? Isn't that the cry of every human heart? We long for change. We want to be different. There's something within us at the core, at the center of us that longs for transformation. We desire new minds, new personalities. We want to be new people and have a chance, just a chance to begin again, to start over, to start afresh. As we look at John chapter 3 today, we're going to see a picture of a man named Nicodemus who went to see Jesus under the cover of darkness. And from his darkness, he was seeking out light for his life. He had religion and ritual to the full, but his heart, when you read between the lines, his heart, with all of his ritual, with all of his religion, was empty. And Jesus could see that. Jesus picked up on that immediately like nobody else could. Nicodemus was longing for a living relationship with God, just like every other human being on the planet. Nicodemus was longing for a new beginning, a new start, a fresh way of living. Let's read John chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 10. It says this, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows when it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? An amazing moment, an incredible moment in a man's life who was stooped in ritual, stooped in religion. And John takes us right into the moment where Nicodemus meets Jesus on this night. And he starts by giving us a little background into who Nicodemus was. John tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now, by being a Pharisee, 
John was letting us know that Nicodemus was an extremely religious man. He had a code of living that was exact, a code of living that was set out. His behavior of life was strict and meticulous. He set out his life as a model for everyone to follow. Some of the things that Nicodemus would have done on a daily basis and on a weekly basis was he'd have been praying for numerous hours every day. He'd have been fasting twice a week, and he would have made sure that every, every part of his life was in order in relation to the law of God. He gave 10% of everything that he earned to the temple and was proud of it and made a very public spectacle of doing that on a weekly basis. He was a model as a Pharisee for people to follow, for people to look up to. And as a ruler of the Jews, as John tells us he was, he held one of the highest positions in the nation. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were an elite group of 70 men who had authority over every Jew on the earth at that time. So this man, Nicodemus, as John describes him, had position, power, great prestige amongst people. This man, Nicodemus, couldn't go any higher. He couldn't want for more. He had all that religion and politics could offer him. He was wealthy. He had no need for anything. He was confident in himself, in his strength, in his success. He was strong as a man, as a person, outwardly, because he was self-made. And John, the apostle, wants to present this to us. He wants us to see the success and the strength of this man as he begins. He wants to present that picture to us as he opens this night, this meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. This was a man who was confident in his religion. This was a man who was strong in his, in his morality in his behavior, and he, he was reliant on everything he did to make him righteous before God. Now, like most meetings, this one began with a greeting, as we've read. Nicodemus greets Jesus very respectfully. He starts by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's a respect. That's a mark of respect. That's a greeting of honor. Now, what we would expect here is a similar greeting from Jesus. That would be courteous in this conversation. After receiving an honorable greeting, we would expect just to warm the conversation up, for Jesus to follow suit, for Jesus to reply and offer a warm, similar greeting. 
But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does something that's unusual because he doesn't respond to Nicodemus's greeting by returning a greeting. He doesn't say, well, Nicodemus, we're all so honored to have a man of your standing here tonight with us. We're all so honored to have you visit in your busy schedule. Also honored that you would take the time to be with us. We all know about the great position you hold. We all know about your reputation of being a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin that has oversight over every Jew on the earth. And even you're a teacher. You are the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus, what an honor it is for us to have you visit us. But Jesus doesn't do the meet and greet thing with Nicodemus. And he's not being rude or obnoxious. He goes straight to the heart of Nicodemus's need, his need to be born again. In verse 3, it says, after the greeting and the honorable greeting that Nicodemus had given Jesus, Jesus comes straight to the heart of the matter by saying, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So within seconds now, of meeting Jesus, Nicodemus hits a wall. He hits a wall because suddenly everything that he believes about himself comes into question. From this one response from Jesus. Because Nicodemus believed that Israel and the kingdom of God were one and the same thing. And because he was a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin and Israel's teacher, he assumed that he had automatic entry into the kingdom of God. But Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that whilst his first birth may have given him entrance into the kingdom of Israel, only a second birth... A new birth could give him entrance into the kingdom of God. Hearing this, Nicodemus is troubled. Because for everything that he's built, year after year after year, for everything that he's relied on, for everything that he has believed has brought him into a place of righteousness before God, suddenly now comes under question. He's troubled. And his heart is longing. And he calls out, how? How? You read John chapter 3, and... I believe as you read it, I, I know not everybody believes this, but I certainly do. 
You read John, John chapter 3 and you see that Jesus loved this man. He loved him. He took time to unfold and open the way to God through himself. He gave, as we'll see as we go on, he gave Nicodemus one of the, one of the greatest revelations that we all hold dear in our hearts of God loving the world, of reaching the whosoever that might believe. It was to Nicodemus, this man, that was bound by religion and ritual, that was part of the Sanhedrin, the group that would ultimately condemn Jesus to die and set up his crucifixion and his death. It was to this man that Jesus gave the greatest revelation because he loved him. And it was this man who would later stand up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin and question their reason and question their rebellion against the Son of God and would face the condemnation of that group of men turning on him. Jesus loved this man. What was he doing? He was sowing into this man's heart so that one day he might see the very things spoken about on this night in reality as Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus loved this man, and as they met, he wasn't trying to win an argument. He wasn't trying to prove this man wrong. Lovingly, he peeled back the layers and he showed him the way. But before any of that, I love how Jesus just approaches. And he's ready for the question. How can this be? Nicodemus says, that's the obvious question. How can a person who is old be born again? Surely you're not saying, Jesus, we have to go back into our mother's womb. What are you talking about being born again? And this is where the wonderful wisdom of God in Jesus makes the picture clear for Nicodemus. In verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus now is gently and carefully helping Nicodemus to understand that he's not talking about a natural, physical rebirth from below, but a new spiritual birth from above. That's what being born again is. You have an encounter, a wonderful life-transforming encounter moment with the living God. Where you are born from above. And if you are born again this morning in this place, that is what has happened to you and you know it. You're born again. Born anew. Jesus, to this man who had come out of the darkness of religion, who had come out of the darkness of ritual, who had come out of the darkness of all of the ceremony and all of the habits and all of the work and the strife and the sweat of the law. 
come into the light. And the light now is showing and shining upon him to reveal that this birth is not natural. It's spiritual and supernatural from above. Jesus is opening Nicodemus' eyes to see the wonderful possibility of a new beginning. The word again in the phrase born again that Jesus used is the word anathan. And anathan is an incredible word because it means from above. So Jesus was giving Nicodemus the wonderful news on this night that he could have a brand new being, a brand new beginning, as a result of being born from above. And by this birth, this spiritual birth, he would be able to receive the kingdom of God, to see it at work in his own life and beyond his life. By using the new birth as the picture, the underlying message to Nicodemus was clear. That just like we had absolutely no part in bringing about our own physical first birth, so we have no role to, or part to play in bringing about our second spiritual new birth. It's all initiated for us by God. It's all initiated for us by the Spirit as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Just like our natural birth was brought into being by the transfer of our parents' lives together to create ours, and their transfer of life to us was completely independent of anything we could do, so exactly in the same way, our new birth from above in Christ is also completely independent of us. Nothing we've done. Nothing we could ever do could bring it about. It's all as a result of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's grace, of the extension of the power of His Spirit to work in our lives as we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. This was the obvious message that Jesus wanted to communicate the revelation that Jesus wanted to communicate to this very religious man that had worked so hard all of his life striving to please God. And Jesus sends out a lifeline. Jesus shows him light in the dark world of his religion. By saying it's not flesh and blood, Nicodemus. You may have built an empire on that. You may pride yourself on that. But that will never, all of the effort and all of the work that you are involved in to maintain that life, Nicodemus, it will never cause or bring into being this spiritual rebirth that God has for you. You have to place your faith, Nicodemus. 
in God's Son. What I love about Jesus' words to Nicodemus is that they're not attacking. They're not condemning. He didn't go in hard and say, well, Nicodemus, all of your religious, is, all of your religious work, all of the rituals that you're involved in, all of your adherence to the law and your position as a Pharisee and sitting at the table as part of the Sanhedrin and even being a teacher of Israel. It's all worthless. No, he doesn't attack this man. I love it. Gently, he teaches. Gently, he corrects. And without saying any of that, he makes it plain for Nicodemus to see. Nicodemus, after this night, would begin to question the works that he was involved in, the striving and the futility of it all to make himself right with God. Jesus was opening this man's eyes for him to see that all that he was involved in, the strife and the sweat and the effort to please God, couldn't get him any further or any nearer to what he wanted. This man was hungry for the living God. That's why he was so religious. That's why he did what he did. This man was, was, was so hungry, but his heart was empty. So Jesus, Jesus spoke the word of life into his life. And just before the meeting ends, Jesus starts speaking about Moses. Well, of course, Nicodemus knew all about Moses. He said, hey, Nicodemus, you remember when uh, the Israelites were in the wilderness and all those serpents turned up and started biting God's people? And Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord said, put a serpent, a brass serpent on a, on a, on a pole and lift it up. And anybody that will look at that brass pole, uh, anyone that will look at that brass serpent that's elevated on the pole will be healed of the many bites of, from, from those poisonous serpents. He said, do you remember that? Do you remember that? Anyone that didn't look at the serpent who chose to rely on themselves to get through and beyond the crisis they were in died in the wilderness. But those who turned were healed. He said, just like, just like that serpent was raised up on the brass pole, Nicodemus, the Son of Man, God's Son, one day, not yet, we've got a couple of years before it, before it takes place, but God's Son, Nicodemus, is going to be raised up, and anybody that turns to Him and believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, a bomb just goes off in the room, and I'll tell you why. Because Nicodemus certainly didn't believe that God had a son. Oops. Uh, excuse me. 
I haven't read about God having a son. What are we talking about here? See, Jesus will take you far, far beyond where you want to go. In what you believe, in what you've thought, in, in where you are. And even some of the things that he'll come and say to us, man, it will cause offense to rise in your heart. And he brought Nicodemus to a point. Do you know what's beautiful? Nicodemus didn't raise an objection when he heard about God having a son. It was just a thought. It was just a seed that one day would come to fruition. And let me just say this, just to throw this in. The one that took our Lord's body down from the cross and tenderly handled it and took care of it was a man by the name of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea provided the tomb for Jesus to be buried in, and Nicodemus made sure he was there. I wonder why. I think it could have been because of this night and the little conversation that they had together and the love that Jesus extended to him and the openness of Nicodemus, this man whose heart was empty and longing, longing for more of God. Before the meeting ends, Jesus leaves Nicodemus with one of the greatest revelations about God's love to save the world. You don't give somebody a precious revelation like this unless you greatly love them, unless you believe that they're going to have a future with you in the kingdom that you've come to establish. Nicodemus received this revelation from Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 14 through to verse 18. For God, Jesus says, can you imagine it? The night is dark. They're all huddled in a little room, not a big temple, not a pulpit behind a platform, just sat at a table in the daily course of life. And Jesus, I mean, whoever, who, who has ever written anything like this? Who in our world? You look at, his, you look at history, you look at literature, you look at all of the, the, the myriads of people that have had input into our world. Who has ever spoken words like this? There is nobody that has ever spoken anything like Jesus Christ. I don't care what anybody says. His words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name 
of the only begotten Son of God. The night ends. What a way to invest into the life of a man. What a way to end the night. He comes in longing to know the living God, and suddenly he finds light for his life from the words spoken by Jesus. If you remember, we said a week last Sunday ago how many commenters call John's gospel the gospel of belief. And it's because John's whole purpose for writing what he wrote was to bring people to a point of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what John's whole purpose was. And we read about his purpose at the end of his gospel. I believe it's in John chapter 20, verse 31. And it says, that verse says something like this. These things have been written that you might believe. Everything that I'm writing about, everything that I'm showing you, as Jesus walked through this earth, as Jesus met people, the high and the low, everything that I'm showing you, all of the miracles, all of the signs, are all for one purpose, that you might believe. I am showing you who Jesus was in order for you to believe who Jesus is, present tense. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, not was the Christ. This isn't a history lesson in who Jesus was. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And by looking at who He was, we might understand and believe who He is. He's the Christ the Son of the living God, John says in John chapter 20. And when we believe that, when we put our faith in that fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John says we receive life. We receive supernatural life. We receive the divine life of God. Well, I don't understand it. It's too much of a mystery. Well, there's lots of things in life that we don't understand. There's lots of things that are a mystery that are beyond us. For instance, one man said, How is it that a brown cow can eat green grass, produce yellow butter, and white milk? It's a mystery. You'll never understand how a brown cow can eat green grass, produce yellow butter, and nice White milk. But the mystery doesn't stop you from enjoying butter on your toast every morning or milk on your cereal. You go beyond the mystery to just enjoy the reality of what the cow produces. You might not understand how believing on the Lord Jesus Christ can give you spiritual life, but as you take that step and as you believe that, Divine life comes in the inside and you are born again. 
You may be born again today and you may and, and the enemy may have assaulted your mind and attacked your mind in relation to believing. That's okay. It's normal. Let him come. But I tell you, anchor yourself down in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and you believe it and life will flow. It will flow and continue to flow. John's gospel is the gospel of belief. It is all centered around this word. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John isn't trying to show us a bunch of miracles like magical tricks that we can sit back at and look at and say, wow, isn't that great? No, all of these miracles are signs that are pointing to Christ as the Son of the living God. It's not hard. It's not difficult. Yes, it's mysterious. Yes, it's unfathomable. Yes, it's beyond our understanding. But you do not need a million letters after your name to receive the wonder of simply believing on Christ. You receive life in His name. I remember reading a story about a man who went to a seminar on one occasion, and he had to sign into this seminar. And as he looked over the list of names before him, he saw that everyone had letters after his name, and his friend was beside him. And this man felt quite inferior because he'd never had an education. So anyway, he had to register. He wrote his name down, and next to his name, he wrote B-A in capital letters, M-A. And his friend said to him, my God, he said, I didn't know that you had a, a Bachelor of Arts and a, and a Master's. He said, what? He said, when did you get those two? He said, well, he said, he said I haven't got either. He said, well, what do, those, what do those letters stand for? He says, born again, marvelously altered. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you have been born again, you have been marvelously altered by the Spirit of God. I tell you, there may be things that we look back on, times, dates, and places that we wish that we could go back to and change. But I'm telling you, you don't have to because you've been given a new beginning in Christ Jesus. You have been born again by the Spirit of God. That which is flesh is flesh. You can't do anything to change it. But that which is spirit is spirit. And you have received life from above in all of its fullness because of the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Not because you've earned it, not because you've deserved it, not because you've worked for it, or prayed it up, or fasted, or done anything in and of yourself. You are born from above. You had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to bring it about. You simply had to believe, and you did it. You believed, and now the life power of Christ lives in you. His nature is yours. And we're slowly beginning to see the uncovering of this wonderful new life. Hey, I'm doing good for time. Let me finish here by saying this. In John chapter 1, verse 12 through to verse 13, John shows us how believing transforms 
our life. He shows us how by believing, new birth comes. And he uses three words in, the, in those verses. He uses the word belief, believe, receive, and become to explain how we can have God's supernatural life through Jesus Christ. And it's as easy as breathing. It's the easiest thing in the world. Let me read to you what John says in John chapter 1 from verse 12 through to verse 13. It says this. Oh, it's fantastic. I tell you, this is so easy, it will make religious people mad. This is so easy. It will astound the world. It really will. John chapter 1, verse 12 through to verse 13. But to all. There's no rank here. To all. Doesn't matter who you are. And John's going to show us this as we go through each chapter. To all who believed, who believed him, Jesus, and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Here's the order. Here's the order. We believe and receive Jesus, and we are reborn anew from above to become children of God. Born to be someone we could never be in and of ourselves. And it all begins when we believe. Paul would later say this. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Hallelujah. Paul would later say this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, talking about this wonderful new birth that we have received. He would say this, verse 17, Therefore, if any man, if anyone, oh, the invitation is out to the whosoever. The invitation is out to anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't you just love those words? Oh, I remind myself of those words so many times. And I just, I just love to, to, to speak them out, to declare them over my life, to think about them. Because every time I think about these wonderful words, I realize that I don't have to go back to times, dates, and places to try and make amends with my past. You'll never be able to make amends with your past and make the, the, the wrong things you did right. You'll never be able to do it. But when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that stuff goes. All of that regret and all of that reoccurring mindset. If only I'd have done this. If only I hadn't said that. All of that pity party that we have so often. 
with ourselves when we're on our own, it all gets wiped under the table. No, I'm in Christ now. I'm in Christ. Old things, they've passed away. Not because I had the ability to bring them to naught, but, be, but through Christ's power. I've been made anew. And all of that old history is irrelevant now. All things about my life have been made new. Let me pick up on one word that maybe you can start thinking about and putting into practice. Because it's an admonishment from an apostle who had, who had a real checkered past in Paul. He says this, Behold, all things have become new. Start to behold it. Start. Dale spoke about the, the, the battle in our mind. Andy Alms last week spoke about thinking differently. Two poignant messages. For us, the war is in our mind. The battle, the challenge, where, where Satan will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with you is in your mind. Start to behold. It's a mental thing. It's a, it's, it's, it's a decision based on who you are now in Christ Jesus. Start to behold the fact that all things have become new. And when the devil reminds you of who you used to be and what you did, just agree with him. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's true. But do you know what, devil? All that old stuff about me has passed away. That doesn't characterize me any longer. Now, I have the mind of Christ. And I'm beholding all of the things that have become new about my life. I'm brand new, devil. I have a brand new beginning because I've been born again. Born from above. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The musicians are going to come. We're going to give praise to God. Oh, what a wonder it is to be born again, to be born from above. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for forgiving us all of our sins. We were dead in our sin, unable to get beyond it, get out of it, but Jesus, you immersed yourself in our sin to rescue us as our Savior. Oh, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by believing, believing continually and walking in this sense of knowing that you are the Christ, we receive life in your name. We thank you that we are called children of God. Oh, we are forever grateful of that as your people. And Lord, as we go from this place today, just before we sing, as we go from this place, there are those out there in our world that have lost hope. There are those out there in our world that have empty hearts like we once had. You found us. You sent somebody to us who labored with us, who spoke to us, 
gently and caringly spend time with us Lord would you send us into people's lives that need you that we might just graciously and helpfully tenderly guide them that we'd be willing to walk a journey with them if necessary possibly for one year or ten years or fifteen years it matters not that we would walk with those who are seeking to find you maybe seeking in all the wrong places Lord help us be that light to them as you were to Nicodemus we ask it in your wonderful precious name Jesus name Amen <laughs>